This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. Keep listening for actionable tips and tricks to incorporate eco-friendly practices into your daily life. We've been featured by Apple as the number one podcast for conscious consumers, and we can't wait to welcome you into our community of changemakers. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. We're the founders of Brightly.eco, the new platform for conscious consumers. We believe in supporting all creatures, great and small. And our team of experts show you how to live and shop responsibly by sharing world-changing lifestyle ideas, products, and more. To read show notes from Good Together and to browse all of the planet-friendly goodness that we feature, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And to help spread the word about the podcast, tap on this episode and share Good Together with your friends and family. A simple text message helps us grow and create change around the world. Overshoot Day marks the date when humanity's demand for ecological resources and services in a given year exceeds what our planet can then regenerate for that entire year. This year, it fell on July 29th, which means that humans currently use 74% more resources than what the planet can regenerate. In this episode, I talked to Sarah Bally, Population and Sustainability Organizer at the Center for Biological Diversity. We chat about what her organization does for the planet, the interesting implications between increased population growth and the reduction of biodiversity, how your everyday consumption plays a role in all of this, and what we can do to ensure our resources are sustained. Let's get into it. Hi, Good Together listeners. We are so excited to start a brand new episode today, Um, and it's all about Earth Overshoot Day, which is very exciting. So what is Earth Overshoot Day, right? This marks the date when humanity's demand for ecological resources and services in a given year actually exceed what Earth can regenerate in that year, right? So we're looking at, you know, a, a system that's not really set up to work well. That's why we're calling this out. So Earth 911 states that 1970 was the last year when the resources lasted the entire year. So that's been a long time from now. (laughs) Um, We've we've been dealing with this problem for quite a while. And one thing that's really interesting is, you know, in 2020, Earth Overshoot Day actually fell on August 22nd, which was induced by the COVID-19 pandemic. But this year, Earth Overshoot Day happened even earlier, right? So it actually happened July 29th, so roughly a month beforehand, which means that we're actually increasing our global carbon footprint more rapidly this year than we did last year. Um, So today, I'm really excited to learn more about where the idea of Earth Overshoot Day actually came from with our guest, Sarah Bailey. Sarah Bailey is the Population and Sustainability Organizer at the Center for Biological Diversity. She's been working for several years on helping people make the connection between reproductive rights, consumption, and Earth Overshoot Day. So welcome, Sarah. I wonder if you could just give a brief intro of yourself and your company. Absolutely. And thanks for having me, Laura. Yeah. 
Yeah, so my name is Sarah. Um, like you said, I'm an organizer at the Center for Biological Diversity. The center is a environmental nonprofit based in the U.S., and uh, we work to uh, help the environment, protect environmental legislation. Um, so it's actually a lot of the staff are scientists and lawyers working on um, ensuring we have the Endangered Species Act, protecting public lands, um, preventing further resource extraction like oil drilling in the ocean. Um, and then I work within our population and sustainability program, which is more focused on education and awareness about how um, our human population impacts wildlife and the environment. So we work um, in the food arena in terms of shifting, trying to shift towards a plant-based, just more plant-based diets, reducing food waste, and then also just kind of general consumption. And like you said, human population growth in terms of and helping people understand the connection of reproductive rights and how they can help the environment. Yeah, I think what's so fascinating about what you're focusing on is you're basically connecting the dots for us. Like, I think we've all grown up hearing about how, you know, humans impact wildlife and impact, you know, our, our biological surroundings, but oftentimes that's where it stops, <laughs> right? You hear those sentences and it's, it's really difficult to tie two and two together. So I love that, that this is something you're focusing and working on. And I love that sort of Earth Overshoot Day really touches on all these things. So I wonder if you can tell us a little bit more about how Earth Overshoot Day sort of came about and how it gets calculated. Sure. So Earth Overshoot Day was started by another organization called Global Footprint Network in okay. 2006. Um, and the idea is it's the date we use up the resources the Earth can regenerate in a year. So the rest of the year you, um, is referred to as overshoot, um, which you can think of as an ecological IOU. Um, and so what's also interesting, that's they figure out the date for the entire planet. They also break it down by country based on the consumption patterns um, in different nations. So okay. obviously you're going to have higher income countries that consume more. Their Earth Overshoot Day um, is much earlier in the year. Yeah. So um, I think this year, for example, if everyone on the planet lived like people in the United States, Earth Overshoot Day would be in uh, mid-March. It oh, was wow. March 14th this year. Yep. And then on the brighter side, they also calculate the impact the solutions would have, which I think is like a nice bright side and really seeing the impact of different actions we can take. Um, so, for example, um, by shifting more towards plant-based diets and reducing meat consumption worldwide by half, um, we could move overshoot day 17 days. So 17 days later in the year, which is what you want. Ideally, it would be <laughs> all the way in December. Um, another one. Um, that I particularly enjoyed that they focus on because not many environmental groups do is human population. So mm -hmm. um, if every other family had one less child and uh, people delayed having kids by two years, um, by 2050, we could move overshoot day by 49 days. Um, so it's really interesting to see what these different solutions, how they can change um, by how quickly they would move the date. Absolutely. And one of the things we talk about a lot on this podcast is actionable steps that people can take to create change every day. And so when you have a study or a campaign um, like Earth Overshoot Day, and you know they come out with some pretty shocking numbers and, and impacts, sometimes we can feel really overwhelmed and think like, oh my gosh, like how, how can I personally help? And so I particularly like um, the call out about meat consumption. 
the um, population thing is very interesting, right? Because you do hear, especially in the United States, you hear about, um, you know, the amount of children widely like kind of going down. So, you know, it's interesting that they think about this statistic on a global basis, right? Because obviously some areas of the world are going to have, you know, even maybe declining populations or, you know, everything kind of averages out, which is fascinating. And like you said, if everybody ended up living like the United States, uh, we wouldn't be in a great situation at all. So it, it's very interesting to see the, the compare and contrast globally, right? Yeah. And that's always something um, we bring up, especially um, in light of all these headlines we see about falling birth rates in the United States. Yep. Is while um, our birth rate is much lower than many other countries, um, it's because of our really high consumption, we have this mm. disproportionate impact per person here. Um, so there's definitely, you know, all around the world, there's an unmet need for contraception. And that's where we see a place for work to improve on this, um, yep. to keep it all human centered on human rights and making sure it's voluntary family planning and not suggesting anything coercive. Um, but yeah, well, like a lot of people will focus, um, on countries with higher fertility rates, we always do want to address that consumption side as well. Um, not in opposition to each other, just as a, Hey, we can still do work in the United States as well. Um, exactly. almost half of all pregnancies here are unplanned. So we can be doing a lot better to ensuring reproductive freedom for everyone. Exactly. And I mean, just because one thing I want to make clear for listeners, who's like, just because you are having children and um, I'm actually about to have my first child here in, in a few uh, months, actually very quickly. Um, and so it just because you are in the process of playing family, it's, it's not a bad thing, but we, we do all need to think about our consumption. And I think this is a really fascinating way to think about it for sure. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting was, you know, we talked a little bit about this in the intro, but how Earth Overshoot Day actually moved up, um, you know, year over year. And this year, Earth, Earth Overshoot Day fell on July 29th. And to break it down from a, you know, quant perspective, that means that we're actually using the resources of 1.7 Earths, which is insane. So a question I had for you was, you know, how has our planet consistently changed within the last few decades um, as a result of what's been going on? Yeah, really any number of ways. So I think common ones we hear about are the rising temperatures, um, increased land use change. Um, so, you know, as we change, change habitat um, to make more room for more people, um, for agriculture, that's going to impact things. Uh, and, you know, with less trees, less um, carbon dioxide uptake. So that's contributing um to more emissions in the atmosphere, the rising temperatures. It's all like a big feedback loop. Um, that's also increasing the frequency of severe weather events. We see more and more of these superstorms, um, rising sea levels. And it is, yeah, it just keeps feeding back into it. Um, and then specifically at the center, another one we look at a lot is this increased rate of species lost. So in the last 50 years, the human population has doubled and then wildlife species um, have halved in that mm. time, which is a bummer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all know, I think, well, most of us know if, if you're listening to this podcast about the negative impacts of climate change happening around the world. But again, like we were talking about a second ago, I think the connection between the human equation, right? The unsustainable, you know, human population growth that you talked about and its negative impact on wildlife is really fascinating to me. Um, just because like I said, usually it's talked about in such an abstract way. So I wonder if you can, you know, share some of your findings between the two um, that our, our listeners might find particularly interesting. 
Absolutely. So yeah, I look at a lot of this research um, because it happens across so many disciplines. Yep. To look at um, just what's how human impacts are being studied on wildlife. Um, It happens in the conservation field, in sustainability journals, um, all kinds. So one I found interesting, um, there's a study that came out in the last year or so, how human population density actually predicts um, mammal extinction patterns with like 96% accuracy. Wow. Um, And also just, you know, noted the unprecedented increase in the rate of extinctions. that we're seeing. So we're, you know, we're many, many times over the natural background rate that occurs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's largely been found to be due to human activity. Another one that came out um, last year looked at 20,000 species and um, how much exposure they have to all of the um, various human pressures. So when you think about all the things we need to sustain, you know, living are, you know, um, roads, houses, power lines, all that stuff is going to have a cumulative effect. Yep. Um, And they found that 85% of the species studied have over half their range exposed to intense human pressure. um, And 16% of the species were being entirely exposed to that amount of pressure. Okay. So just kind of like they call like they referred to as looking at like humanity's footprint. Yep. So just kind of hearing how wide ranging that is, was really shocking to me. Absolutely. I mean, for me, it's it's one of these things where, you know, again, when you when you lay it out that way, it, it's completely shocking. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and so I wonder, too, if we can talk a little bit more about like specific pieces of, you know, consumption. Um, so we talk a ton about what we, we call conscious consumerism here at Good Together. And so, you know, the idea that the, you know, consumption habits of an individual actually can play a role in either, you know, helping, uh, you know, create more resources or uh, preventing usage of resources. Um, you know, it's very tempting, I think, for people to take a step back and think that government regulations and sort of larger powers are the only way to move forward. And of course, we certainly agree that more regulation and more thought processes from governments and NGOs are certainly needed. We believe very strongly in the power of consumers actually taking a step back and being more thoughtful. So I wonder if you can tell us a little bit more about, you know, your thought here on conscious consumption and, you know, sort of how, how people play into the equation. Time and time again, you texted, emailed, and DM'd us for our take on a planet-friendly way to purchase our tried and tested Brightly favorites. Because while the world of conscious consumerism is exploding, making mindful, planet-friendly purchases can still be a challenge. That's where the Brightly shop comes in. To reduce some of the eco-overwhelm, every product we sell has been hand-picked and vetted by the Brightly team. You won't find anything in the shop that has less than five stars. We've gone through hundreds of eco-products to discover new and emerging brands that solve sustainability problems for you every day. We even designed our own products like beeswax wraps to keep things fun and to help you live brightly. So how do we help you shop sustainably? The shop launches on the first Monday of each month and is open for five days. So the shorter, planet-friendly shopping window allows us to only order what we need. After the shop closes, we pack and ship out products in bulk. This low-impact supply chain reduces waste and keeps the planet happy. 
Brightly is also climate neutral certified. Because we are committed to climate action, we have set our entire carbon footprint from operations to shipping. We believe in the power of collective change, and we are so glad you're joining us on this journey. Go to shop.brightly.eco to see what's in store. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, like, while I totally agree with, you know, needing the broader systems changes, that the individual actions are really empowering because that is a change you can make in your day-to-day lifestyle. Absolutely. Um, you know, as we talk about it, you know, learn things from podcasts like yours and talk about it with each other. Um, it does kind of, you know, bring it to top of mind for a lot of people and can create that um, kind of like push on the market, I guess. Yep, um, absolutely. Showing that there is demand for this and making um, companies and governments make that shift. And that's always kind of um, our like two pronged approach um, for really any of our campaigns is, um, you know, empowering people with an individual action, but then also um, helping illustrate, like, what are the broader actions they can support. So um, one example I'll give is with some of our food work of shifting towards plant-based diets. Um, It's as, you know, simple as sharing fun recipes and um, covering when, like, another fast food place switches to, like, having Impossible Burgers and having that option available, but also creating petitions for, like, bigger chain restaurants to you know, just encouraging them to add more plant-based options so that that change can be more accessible for people. Absolutely. I, you know, plant-based um, eating is something that used to be so out of reach for most people mentally. <laughs> I'm not yeah. going to say that it was out of reach necessarily um, physically, although that it just depends on how far you want to go with that, right? Obviously, we didn't have things like an Impossible Burger a few years ago for people that were very, um, you know, excited about continuing to eat that type of food. But of course, there's always been the option to be truly, you know, vegetarian or vegan. Um, but one thing that we love to think about here is the concept of sustainable swaps, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, it's not even that we're asking people necessarily to go 100 based, uh, 100% plant based uh, in every single meal that they have, but it's just making really quick, simple swaps um, using that meat alternative in a chili instead of, you know, the classic meat, um, you know, putting more beans in there, right? Just like thinking mm-hmm. creatively. And I think the more that we can get behind this concept, um, you know, as, a, as the human race, as it were, the better off we're going to be because I think. You know, I actually come from a, you know, I come from the South originally. i am been on the, the West Coast for a long time. But thinking about where I grew up, um, you know, how tied people are to the culture, unfortunately, of eating meat and, and, and all of these things. Like, I get really excited when I see people who are like learning how to barbecue a watermelon on TikTok, <laughs> which I've actually not had a chance to try, but I've heard it's very good. I think Gordon Ramsay even did this, uh, if I believe, I believe correctly. So, um in general, I think the more that we can, you're right, have these conversations, think about creative ways to go about it and then feel empowered. Because at the end of the day, the earth needs us to come together from a point of positivity. And I know that it's really difficult for us to, uh, to keep that positive uh, view on things. We're going to have our bad days. You know, we just had, of course, the report come up from the IPCC um, about climate change and about, you know, kind of the, the, the world that we're facing. And so, you know, I think we, we balance, we don't want to be, you know, we we balance everything, but the more we can come together, the better. So, um, you know, you also, um, mentioned, um, you know, in, in kind of our, our, our show preview that 
there's actually a study out there that that identifies multiple actions that people can take, um, you know, for the planet, and including, um, you know, having, you know, less children, like we talked about earlier. I wonder if you can kind of uh, expand on a few more of those actions. Yeah, absolutely. I thought the study was so interesting when it came out, because you it, it includes all the typical uh, green actions you hear about a lot, but they actually quantified the effect they have in terms of emissions reduction. So okay. it had all your usual um, recycling, washing your clothes in cold water, uh-huh. flying less, um, but it also included having one less child and, you know, had a nice bar graph, lined them all up together and having one less child saves nearly 60 tons of carbon dioxide per year. And again, wow. I will say that is based on consumption patterns in the U.S. It will yep. vary less in countries that consume less. Um, and to compare, like li- basically living car-free or plant-based diets, I think most of those were under one ton of carbon dioxide. So not to say that like they're not worth doing, like every little bit helps. Um, but I think people didn't know just how impactful um, family planning decisions could be. Yeah, and absolutely. also the kind of the less noted one they talked about was how often these are mentioned in government resources and the highest impact actions like having one less kid or even flying less were not ones people heard about. Well, I mean, having one less child is very controversial. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Especially here, right? Personal. And so it's very personal. Um, and, you know, everybody kind of has different ideas of, of what they, they picture their family to be like. And so, yes, talking like this, I think can definitely bring up emotions for people. It is very personal, but I think what's interesting, regardless of how you feel about the the topic, it's very interesting to boil down consumption to a life, you know, a lifetime and thinking about you yourself, you know, your impact that you're having, but yes, like as, as you choose to bring other life forms into the, into the world, um, you know, there, there's definitely going to be an impact there. So Again, I don't think we're necessarily saying that nobody needs to have children ever. That's certainly not what we're saying. But we're saying that it, it is helpful to be mindful here when we think about the finite a number of resources that we have, which is just really fascinating. Um, and you also had another point you wanted to chat about a little bit about the biomass of humans. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? I'm actually not familiar with that concept. Yeah, this is just kind of like an overall like quantifying of... Um like living species on the planet and just kind of a breakdown of how much can go into different categories. So um, basically if, like if we look at all mammals on the planet right now, um, 30%, 36% of that is humans, 60% is livestock. And then hmm. only 4% are like wild mammals. So that's just, it, I think is a, it illustrates again, kind of like, how our our impact spreads beyond ourselves like right 36 percent we're not we're not the majority but livestock like you know if an agricultural food item that is used to sustain us um takes up a lot and that's going to have um extenuating impact based on uh crops needed to feed them and the land needed for that and water needed as well and then similarly um 70% of the birds on the planet are livestock poultry and only 30% are wild. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, and the other thing I wanted to ask you too is, um, you know, in your work with your current organization, 
Have you seen, I wonder if there's any kind of specific species case studies that you can call out of, you know, of a, you know, a species that might now be endangered or even no longer with us and, and seeing it specifically, um, you know, not thriving because of the human impact on the world. Like, obviously we can all think of some in our heads, but I'd be curious to know if there's any interesting ones that pop out for you. Sure. No, I've always got, um, a few of these on top of mind from our endangered mm-hmm. species condoms project. So we give out condoms to all start conversations about how human population impacts wildlife. And on the packages, we have cute little illustrations of wildlife and little puns about them. So one that I can think of is uh, sea otters. And they were hunted nearly to extinction for their fur. So that's a pretty direct human impact. Sure. Um, yep. And they have since rebounded great, but like still face threats um, from fishing bycatch, like unintentionally being caught by fishermen and offshore drilling. And another species I can think of that's one people aren't terribly aware of, but there's a small porpoise off the coast of Mexico called the vaquita. Okay. And there are less than 20 of them now, and they are often caught unintentionally by shrimp fishermen. So again, you know, catching shrimp for human consumption. Absolutely. Yeah. I actually am familiar with that. I'm a I am a porpoise and whale um, nerd over here. I actually oh, live, nice. in, <laughs> I live in Seattle, so I, um, I frequently go get to see orcas kind of out in their habitats when they when they come amazing. around, which is amazing. It's, it's such a cool experience. But even here, we hear a lot about, um, you know, the overfishing of salmon populations yeah. um, that have unfortunately led to their decline. Of course, there was also quite a drive in the 70s. Anybody who's seen Free Willy, I mean, that is a true story. The people, right. There was unfortunately a period of time when we as a society thought it was okay to just go into the wild and round up, you know, uh, sea life, whales, dolphins, et cetera, to bring into aquariums. And of course, you know, it's so cruel on so many levels, but uh, it's interesting to think about, you know, human consumption of their food source and then the downstream impacts of that. And a lot of you know times, unfortunately, it, it does come back to commercial fishing as well. So even though we as individuals might not be out there with a fishing pole <laughs> ourselves taking too much salmon every day, it unfortunately the way our system is set up to reward you know the you know overfishing, unfortunately, right now is just not working. I will say, in the state of Washington, um, it does seem like they've made some inroads. Like my my husband does like to. Um, occasionally go fishing and, you know, he's got his permits and everything. And they're very strict on, you know, how many um, specific, you know, salmon that you can take in the time. So I am encouraged to see at least the, you know, the wildlife and game um, situation here in the state of Washington seems to be paying attention. But my question of that always is like, well, what are they doing with the commercial fishermen, right? <laughs> right. It's, yeah. it's not likely the person who's like occasionally going out on the weekend to fish. That's the, that's the issue. Exactly. Right. Like I don't think anybody's starting a cottage industry of fishing. Um, but I think just as, as we kind of, you know, wrap up our general conversation, I think the more that we can all take a step back and think about our collective impact on the earth's resources is really important. So um, Sarah and I outlined a few certain t- uh, tips that people can take. One of which um, is to think more about family planning, which like we said, we know that can be controversial and, and bring up different types of emotions in people. So we're, we are asking you to just think more broadly about it, right? And of course, do things like think more about plant-based diets, um, you know, think more about these individual actions that we can all do, um, but just to be mindful and thoughtful and have the conversation. And so 
To close, Sarah, we typically like to ask our guests um, one of the same few questions, which is, and I think you'll probably piggyback on what I just said, <laughs> but is, you know, what what's really something that excites you the most about the ethical and sustainable lifestyle movement right now? Yeah, just that it's, I think, just becoming some, it's not like a niche topic anymore. It's coming through so many different industries. I feel like I can go on social media and learn about fast fashion and what I can do there to like lessen my impact, um, learn all kinds of new plant-based recipes. And then again, like that combination of individual and, um, broader systemic changes. So, um, if we were to go back to population, like, you know, you want to have kids and that like, that's, that's great. And it's like, you know, even if you don't want to change your family size, you can advocate for, um, improved access to healthcare for everyone so that everyone has the ability to plan the family size that they want. So there's just all these different levels we can all be working on, which I think is great. I love that piece too, right? Which is, you're right. Just because you yourself might be in a situation where you have access to more resources and you can make more informed decisions does not mean that everybody else around the world can. So I love that call to action, Sarah. It's not something that we hear much about, but thinking through the providing of resources for others around the world and just, you know, raising awareness outside of your bubble potentially, right? Because yeah. so you mentioned social media, right? Like Brightly and Good Together have had quite success, uh, you know, on Instagram and TikTok and things like that. And we, we take that success very seriously in terms of wanting to make sure that we're constantly providing accurate information to our followers, right? Because there, of course, is a lot of disinformation out there. But the other thing we talk a lot about is, you know, providing information to people in, in formats so that they can kind of get out of their bubble to share about because, you know, there are, while of course we, we have an amazing group of eco-passionate people, <laughs> there's a lot of people who aren't, but who might be persuaded if you come forward and have an honest conversation with them, um, with, with statistics, with, you know, curiosity grabbing bits you know, and that just, I, I mean, for instance, you, your, um, your uh, wildlife times condom campaign, right? Like that's very interesting. I'm sure def definitely generates a lot of conversation and, and probably gets people to think about something that they might not already. So creativity, I think is the name of the game too, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And humor. Oh. Humor always helps too. Oh, that's totally right. We love it. So um, Sarah, we wanted to thank you so much for joining us. Um, listeners, if you're interested in finding more about um, Earth Overshoot Day or about Sarah's work, you can um, check out our show notes at the um, you know brightly.eco slash podcast. Um, you can you can go on to Google and Google all of the things we talked about, but we'll also have links ready for you, um, you know, and available. So don't forget to check out the Center for Biological Diversity as well. So thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you, Laura. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Good Together. As always, you can get show notes and explore lots more content related to all things eco-friendly living by checking out brightly.eco slash podcast. And don't forget to join in on the conversation that's happening on our Facebook group. Simply search Good Together Ethical Shopping and it'll come up. You can also leave us a question through voicemail. The link is on brightly.eco slash podcast. 
If you're into social media, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and all of the channels. Our username is brightly.eco. Finally, we want to leave you with a reminder. Every day is a chance for you to create change, and you're already covered for today since you joined us here on the podcast. Stay kind and live brightly.